Welcome to My Best 11 podcast. Today we are joined by a midfielder, attacking midfielder, striker even at times. Um, played under 18s for two or three times for England, which is an amazing accolade. Started his career at Norwich, Luton, Swansea, Blackpool, Millwall, Grimsby, then finished his career at Lowestoft as a player. And is currently lead development squad manager, is that the correct way of putting it, I believe, um, at Luton Town. Today we are joined by Adrian Forbes. How are you, Adrian? I am not too bad, thank you. How are you guys over there? I bet the weather's a lot nicer where you guys are than it is in a, a rather grey Luton, we will say today. <laughs> Marvin, so how well, oh, it's lovely here, but Marvin, how, no. do you, how well do you know Adrian? Do you guys click straight away, obviously, well, three, we, four years? Well, look, I, I'll say Adrian, or Forbes, as we call him, had the pleasure of like playing with me towards the end of my career. So uh, when I say that, I said I have a tongue in because I, I remember I, every now and then I watched obviously some old videos and you played in that, that Hartlepool game, didn't you? Because like, I remember you, I called, did. you when I scored, that was my last goal. So yes. so we did we did actually play together. So um, it was towards the end of my career and I, a lot of the time I was coming on a sub, but yeah, Forbes, he was um, a little bit similar to myself, but bubbly character came in, smiles, right? Never, never was never down or up, like one of the miserable ones. So I, I, I was quite happy to share the dressing room with, with him. Fantastic. Yeah, and, I, and I think what you just said there, Marv, I think I've always had that mantra in that, you know, I always found myself, even though times were hard, sometimes eluting, as you know, um, with the administrations, I'm sure we'll cover that stuff later on. But I always worked under the understanding that I was in a really, really fortunate position to come in and do something that wasn't work. You know, I, I was viewed as a paid hobby, so I had to come in and enjoy it every day. And that was what stuck with me throughout the whole of my career. Yeah. So, yeah. And I'm still the same now. That's what I was going to say. Is that a reason why you stayed in football? Is that is that kind of what, what made you want to do that? Because it's a hobby that pays the bills. Yeah, I think, you know, the reality is I wasn't fortunate enough. You know, I think I had a relatively good career. Did I get to the end of my career where I was, you know, in that fortunate position where I was 15, 20 years of a Premier League salary, I could put my feet up and relax? No, absolutely not. But I was also real passionate about giving back to the career that gave me what it gave me, if that makes sense. So to be able to try and work with younger players and give them an opportunity to hopefully follow in my footsteps and leave, live the same dream that I lived that was always something that, that I wanted to do. And as my career went on and as the injury set in, I found myself organically morphing into this coach anyway. So I thought, well, I might as well just give it a go because to be honest with you, there's not much else I know or I've done. I've done it all since I was 16. So yeah, and even now, you know, you still get, even as a coach or manager, you still get that passion at three o'clock on a match day or 7.45 midweek where, you know, that winning mentality never leaves and seeing players thrive, seeing players, you know, as an example, this Saturday, one of my goalkeepers, Jameson Horlick, was was on the first team bench. You know, that seeing that, it's that's my reward nowadays because I can't score goals and I can't run anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are here to talk about you running and your career um, as a player. And we're here to find out from you the best 11 players you ever set foot on a pitch with. Uh, so... What we're going to do is we're going to jump straight in uh, and look yep. at your formation first of all, and then go straight on to goalkeeper. So over to you, Adrian. Formation. Okay, so I've gone. I've gone with a four-three-three. So uh, a four-three-three with one holding midfielder and two attacking midfielders. I think that that for me is my preferred um, formation that I would play um, 
as a coach. If I if I if I was a manager of a team, that would be our go with. Although we do use uh, the diamond formation a lot under my current role, but four three three would be the formation I would go with. And it also gave me the opportunity to make sure I could get certain players on the pitch that I wanted on my pitch. So we'll see what you think of it at the end. Excellent, excellent. So you'll go through your team as we go through. Um, give us some clues and see if myself and Marv, um, we've been doing relatively well, um, I'd say. Um, yeah. See if we can guess them as we go through and honourable mentions as well. So you can't offend anybody. So over to you, goalkeeper-wise. <laughs> okay, so number one, my goalkeeper. Uh, this player I was fortunate enough to play with in my younger years. So that's already a good clue for you if you know where I started my career. He was the goalkeeper that worked with me throughout my schoolboy age groups at this club. He then went on to play for England. He also went on to play for West Ham, Queen's Park Rangers, Leeds, amongst other teams. And he finished off his career at a rather prominent London club, shall we say. There's your clues. We, yeah, we, we, got, we got it. You got it, Andrew? Yeah, you got it, Marvin. Robert Green. Correct, Robert Green. That's not that's not a good start from my point of view. You got it straight away. <laughs> hey, listen, we've been doing this for a while now, so we do we do our research. We do our research. You do. What, what yeah, was Robert, Robert Green? Green? What so you had? So obviously you came through and were at Norwich. Um, yeah. As he was still a young kid, then it'd have been quite young. Yeah, or am I getting ages and things like that? I get a bit confused now, but. Yeah, and the, the one thing I knew from Robert Green straight away, we had, you know, I was fortunate enough in the, the players that I played with at Norwich, you know, we had my first goalkeeper when I first broke into the, the Norwich City team at just 17 was Brian, was Brian Gunn. You know, you're looking at this absolute legend of a goalkeeper that mm. I watched when I was at home with my dad, you know, and there I am running around on the same pitch as him. Like, wow, this, it was mind-blowing. But then he went from Robert Green to, to Andy Marshall, was the next one, another fantastic goalkeeper. But you always had this young absolute unit bubbling away underneath which was Robert Green and I think one thing you knew with Robert from the outset was his attitude his work rate and his steely determination always suggested that he was going to become a success I don't think anyone would have looked at him and gone you know you're going to end up playing for England and you're going to end up playing for the clubs you did but credit to him you know as his years went on you almost knew that actually you know what the person and the character he is and the single-minded, almost tunnel vision was going to allow him to achieve it. So, you know, from my point of view, it was great to have played a small part in his journey and have been on the same pitch as him. Yeah, yeah. What's it like as a goalkeeper coming through? Is it, I mean, to establish yourself, you're not expected to be 25, 26, really to get to grips with everything. And there's very few of these keepers at the age of 18, 19. I'm thinking Paul Robinson, um, Richard Wright back in that era they were the kind of keepers yeah. who did come through at an 18, 19 year old so is it hard do you think for keepers to come through and as a pro who plays up front do you go soft on them to help them out? No, no, never go soft on them never go soft on them My, the, the, harder, the harder you go the, the better it is for them and you know it, it, it sounds silly but those corners come in there's no point in you here to go keepers okay mate you come and catch it no, 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 no. I'm going to make it as hard for you as I can and even me at five foot seven and a bit on a good day I would still go in hard on those goalkeepers and almost look at it from a point of view of toughing them up. And even, in, you know, with my role now, you know, if I see goalkeepers coming for crosses and one of my strikers isn't actually putting them under a little bit of pressure, they're going to know about it because their job is to put goalkeepers under pressure and to get goals. And if my striker's scoring goals past that goalkeeper, the goalkeeper's going to have to improve to stop him scoring, etc. So I think the one thing I will say, that the way the goalkeepers' union works together in almost in isolation sometimes... I've never known any of the clubs I've played for where there's any animosity between those goalkeepers. 
the goalkeeper's yeah. almost an understanding of, well, he's the number one, I'm the number two, but I'm still going to work my socks off as the number two to make the number one better. But then when it's my turn to step in, I'm going to be at the top of my game to step in and take over West, where that goalkeeper has left off. So I'll always have a massive, massive respect for the goalkeepers. And, you know, with them being almost the last line of defence sometimes and any errors they might make may lead to a goal. The mental toughness that these goalkeepers have, I've always been, an, you know, an admirer of that. So, you know, and I think probably the Brian, Brian Gunn is probably the one that started off for me of understanding what it takes to be a, you know, a top, top, top end goalkeeper. Yeah, what was he like as a personality? Who, Robert? Or... No, no, Brian as well. Brian Gunn. Uh, he was, you know, he was he was amazing for me personally. You know, he was that. What word am I looking for? He was almost a father figure for me. He had the likes of myself and Dar- myself, Darren Kenton, as an example, that were young whippersnappers coming through that thought we had all the answers to all the questions, the cheeky chappies. But someone like Gunny would quite quickly bring us into line, but in a really nice way, shall we say. But you almost you almost knew as well what a legend he was, and that come with an element of respect that we had to give him amongst other players that were in the dressing room at the time. So, yeah, great, great, great guy. And it's actually great now to see, you know, Angus, his son is at Norwich, where it's, you know, where Gunny had such a great career. Angus is now there, you know, forging his career as well. So, he obviously comes you know, come with really good pedigree to Angus. So, yeah, great guy. Great, great guy. Fantastic. So, we'll move to right back, left back, whichever one you want to start on. Ah, okay, so right back. This player, um, <laughs> this player for me, I would say, was very quiet in the dressing room, very unassuming in the dressing room. But when he got on the pitch, um, he was very hard to beat. Incredibly quick, uh, loved an overlap down the right-hand side. And I would say went on to have a fantastic career. And probably if I'm honest with you... <laughs> Let me finish, Marv. <laughs> I'm just guessing. I'm just trying to show our knowledge of that we do do research. Okay, go on then. Go on then. I'll let you cut was me, Matt. Who, who, who are you thinking? I'm just asking, was he an FA Cup winner? He was an FA Cup winner, yes. Okay. And he he did manage to lift the trophy and I would say went on to, oh, played very, very well for Crystal Palace as well. So your guess is, Marv? I'm missing voice. Emerson Boise. Oh, yes. Boise. I didn't even think yeah. that he'd lifted it. I forgot he'd lifted the FA Cup, even though he's been on here. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> I, didn't, I forgot you were going brought down Boise. Boise's angle. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the thing is with Boise, and I hope he won't mind me saying it, but that he used to get some stick from the staff, from Mr. Kinnear, the gaffer, was literally we, always... We spoke about it. We, we oh, spoke I about don't it. if you can remember. It, it was something sometimes it was like, okay, Gaffer, like give him a bit, give him a bit of a break. Right. I can remember I can remember one. I don't know if you can remember it, Marv. I'm not sure if you were if you're involved in it then or not, but he was playing against Peter Beagree. Right. Oh, the old Beagree, guy. Yeah. Yeah. And Peter Beagree's gone down the left and he's whipped in a lovely cross and joking is going, Boisey, show him on his right. Don't let him cross like that. So Boise did as he was told, show Beagues on his right. Peter Beagree's gone whip with his right foot. Boise, show him on his left. Don't show him on his right. Boise's like, well, what would you want me to do? You keep telling me to do this. I do the other. You're still having a go at me. That was what Boise had to put up with on a, on a regular basis. But credit to him, he never let it get him down. He kept no. working and working and improving and improving. And watching his trajectory and watching him grow was just, it was amazing. And I think me playing predominantly as right winger, um, in front of Boise, you're like, okay, you knew what you were getting for him. And I would say, and I hope you agree, Marv, the right-hand side at that time was rapid. Me with my pace, yeah. 
Everton with his pace, we were we were brutal down that right hand side at times, and it was almost a mutual respect where I knew if Boise went round me, I'd fill in at right back at the right times. We would cover into shape, um, but yeah, seeing almost taking those those points that the manager would make at that time and making sure he developed himself. So the manager couldn't pick those holes in his game again, I thought was just amazing. And to see so many years later that he goes on and plays in the Premier League and, you know, having someone that I call a mate lifting the FA yeah. Cup for me. Ah, oh, just 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 amazing. Absolutely amazing. Right. Like, yeah. No, it's fantastic. I mean, like his best I- position is? I'm interested in that, right or left, right or centre. Because, I mean, he lifted it. Was he lifted at centre-back, didn't he, Marv? Was, a- was he at centre-back for Wigan? I don't know. I, I, I think there might have been. I know, but because he used to I play a three, I'm not sure if they played. Because sometimes they played a three at the back. But I think he was. I think he was centre back. Where do you two reckon his best position was, and for, did it for, change as he got older? I think. I think for me, I think as I go back to the words I said before, and I apologise if I go back to keep saying talking about blows with my coaching head on. But if I look at as I said about um, Boise at the start, someone that wasn't the dressing room at Luton was brutal. Yeah, and I think Nico said this on his, didn't he? Nick Nat said this on his. The dressing room in it was, ooh, <laughs> you had to be you had to be a strong character at times. There was no middle ground. You either had to be quiet and keep yourself to yourself, or you had to be up there and just be out there and then be part of it. There was no middle ground. So I thought Boise probably fell into the quieter bracket, but yeah, he, did. he developed himself and worked and worked and worked and worked. And for someone that was me in my point of view quiet to then go on to captain a team that lifts the FA Cup says so much about him as a person it really yeah. does because I probably as a young as as when he when I started working with him at Luton I didn't see those traits in him as a captain at all so massive respect for him as a player but massive respect for him as a person with what he went on to achieve on the pitch off the pitch not just football point of view, because as a captain as well, there's so many traits that you need to bring to the team, that you need to bring to discussions with the manager, discussions with the board of directors, so many aspects that you have to have as a captain. So yeah, massive, massive credit to him for what for what he went on to achieve. Oh, definitely, definitely. And and obviously for him as well, showing his character to 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 being captain of that team and then to go through three days later, it was three or four days late when they got relegated as well. Must have yeah, been that, pretty, pretty that, tough from the highs and the lows to emotionally get you, you know how do you quantify that? how do you get your head around that that you've got the euphoria of lifting that and like wow I can't believe I, I have literally done pretty much every boy's dream out there it's not just playing in the FA Cup is a dream for so many kids out there anyway but to play in it win it lift the lift the cup and in a matter of days like oh, right yeah. now we've got to play in this league now so you know it's it's again how you manage that mentally how he would have had to have picked the boys up after that situation again and I'm sure he did um just just amazing just amazing so oh, yeah I think that the one thing I do laugh about with Boise as well is I can remember a period of time and I was like oh God tell you what that Emerson Boise is so quick isn't he he puts in some great last ditch tackles and I always remember going he was putting in those last ditch tackles because he was getting too tight to people so he was getting done <laughs> in behind but he was so rapid he'd get back goal side and put in those last minute tackles and everyone's like oh some player him some but I'm going with my coaching head on if he'd have stopped it at source and not got so tight right. early on he wouldn't have yeah. had to do that, but you know what? It worked for him, and he went on to have an amazing career. So <laughs> maybe no, I right. should have done that. Myself. Maybe I should have done that. <laughs> so we'll move to the left back over to the left hand side. Okay, so you're going to get this one as well. I know. Um, my first time I played at left wing with this person behind me, received the ball from midfield, took a touch inside, 
went to exploit space inside and I can see this person absolutely bomb past me with speed I have never seen. Fozzy, Fozzy, put me in. I'm going around the outside. Uh, but you're way too ahead of me now. I can't get you in. This guy's engine, before I knew it, shock I'd lost possession. He was back in left back. And I'm going, who is this absolute freak of nature that ended up going on to play for Luton, to play for Portsmouth? Can score worldies from about 50 yeah. yards out. <laughs> can score. But the thing is with these worldies, so I know you know what about, he didn't do a worldie by, it wasn't just the one or two worldies, was it? It was like a worldie off the floor. It was like a worldie lob. It was a worldie half volley off this ridiculous left foot. And I know if I do tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure Nico might have said this on his, This there was no backlift on his strike. No. But no. it was just arrowing top corners, et cetera, et cetera. So you know what I'm talking about? Matty Matthew Taylor. Taylor. Matty Taylor. Yeah, Matt, Matty Taylor. And, you know, this young lad that's coming through, baby-faced, and he was a bit of a baby-faced assassin, to be honest with you, because he looked completely unassuming. Um, you almost step up to come and train with the first team. You know, who's, who's this young lad stepping up? He surely is not going to be able to cope this slight figure. Um, but then he gets playing and you're like, right, okay. Okay, I, I see it now. I see it now. But to step up to, as I say, which was quite an unforgiving team, whether it be training-wise, whether it be banter-wise, whether it be pranks-wise, but there was just an instant respect for him because of the way he played and how he conducted himself. I would say probably one of the best professionals I would say at that at such a young age people grow into their professionalism and again I don't need to agree with this Marv but he almost came in as a seasoned pro at such a tender age the way he ate the way he looked after his body the way he did extra work to make himself better he did all this so his standards that he set himself were superb so it was probably no surprise that he went on to achieve what he achieved but and also with that as well one of the most polite and well-spoken young men you could have ever come across. <laughs> such, such a genuinely nice chap. Such a really nice chap. Really nice chap. So, yeah, I knew you'd get, I knew you'd get that one easily. But just just for everything he'd done, and also for those times when I did have to play left wing, the one thing you want as a winger is to have trust in that person that's left back or have trust in that person that's right back that allows you the freedom to go and play and the freedom to go and express yourself. And I know a lot of managers, coaches, fans that watch players will say that those wide players, those wingers can be annoying sometimes because the way they play, there's always going to be a turnover of possession. But when they're playing and they're playing with confidence, they can unlock, unlock defences regularly. And that was that was me. That was my game. Having Emerson behind me or having Matty Taylor behind me allowed me to go and express myself and allowed me to go and play. So, yeah, two fullbacks that I would say um, helped me massively in my time at Luton. Massively. So was was you always just going back to you now, Forty, as a, a youngster? Was you always a, a, a forward? And I mean, one was Norwich the only club. What was there any other clubs you could have um, was an interest as coming up as a schoolboy? What's that story? You're going to laugh at this. I was a goalkeeper, Marv. When I first started out, I was a no. Goalkeeper. Stop! Stop! Stay. Hey, we're recording this. <laughs> hey, we've got to be serious now. What was Forty's <laughs> no, seriously, seriously, I want the to boys be a know this. Who you train with? Huh? Do they? Do the kids so, know yeah, this? So, some of them do, yeah. But obviously, you can imagine the stick I get now. You want to figure, you're five foot nothing. How do you want to be a goalkeeper? And it was literally um, playing in a cup competition called the Canary Cup up in Norwich. And I was actually in goal. And um, the scout at the time, a chap called Gordon Bennett, may you rest in peace. He saw me as a goalkeeper and saw me doing well. But it's actually my coach, a chap called Jim O'Shea, that actually went, no, 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 no. He's going in goal because he can jump really high and he's really brave. You need to see him out on pitch. 
And that's how it sort of happened. I did get an opportunity to then play it on pitch in the final of this cup competition um, up in Norwich. The same scout was there and went to my coach, actually, yeah, I see what you're saying now. And then gave me an opportunity to come in on trial at Norwich um, as an outfielder. But I think the one thing, my key attribute was my speed. I had pace and power to burn. And I think probably at, you know, 14, 15, 16, I was a bit of a freak of nature as well with my build. So that lent itself to me playing, you know, in attacking areas. And I think that's that's what I always done, really. I was out and out. I was a right winger or left winger. It wasn't until um, Luton, really, where I, you know, I got converted to playing a full season as a striker, but I hadn't really played it before then. So always had an attacking mindset, always had a mindset around setting people up. I was never one of those people that wanted the glory of getting the goals. I was quite happy and comfortable to set others up. So, yeah, defending wasn't really my forte, to be honest with you. All out attack, <laughs> all out attack. In the same, you're the same size. I think I think you was born like that, weren't you? You're the same size now. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't disagree with you, Marv. I am challenging the height department, but one thing I could do is. Because I could leap. So that got me out of so many sticky situations because I could jump really high. But no, I would never, ever, ever have flourished as a goalkeeper. That's for sure. That's for sure. So as your coaching role now, you said you were fast then. How fast are you now? Oh, no, 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 no. I'll join in the odd possession-based practice or join, join in the odd 11 v 11. Um, the last time I joined in, I think two weeks ago, is 11 v 11 was at centre-back. But now what I can do is I can just get it and pass it, get it and pass it. If the ball gets stretched in behind, I'm in a world of trouble. So it is literally keep the game in front of me, pass the ball as quick as I can, and that's it. But, you know, I think it's I think it's good. The, the career I had and playing the way I played, I think it gives me a better opportunity to develop the players I'm working with now. That's not to say coaches have to have had a playing background to be able to develop players. That's not me saying that at all because I don't believe in that. But I think it just allows me to speak to them um, because some of the experiences that they will have, I would have already experienced it, even if it is knowing you might be an attack-minded player, but at some point, age will creep in and you will have to go a little bit further back. You might have to adapt, you might have to change your game. So they're the little key messages that I can give back to the players, you know, now, even if they do like to sometimes, if I get stuck in the rondo circle, they will quite quickly play on me and stitch me up so I get stuck in the middle. But I, would, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change it. I absolutely love what I do. Love it. Fantastic. So we'll move across the centre-backs, whichever one you want to do. Okay, so my first one, I'm going with um, a young lad that um, was captain or my captain at the age of 19, which me coming in as a vastly more experienced player than this person was surprising. But the club I was at at the time made the decision to make this player captain because they wanted to keep him, because he was getting quite a lot of interest from other clubs. Um, this was League Two football we were playing at the time. When I got on the pitch with this centre-back, I realised quite quickly what a talent he was. And it didn't surprise me that he went on to play for teams like Norwich, Wolverhampton Wanderers, lots of Premier League appearances, also played for Leicester as well. I'll give you a clue in that he started his career at Grimsby. Ooh. Centre-back. Centre-back. Centre back nineteen was when he was the captain at Grimsby. When I mean, I, signed. I know obviously Grimsby is. I mean, love Grimsby. I had a, a mate. A, I was. I don't know if he probably was there when you were there. Graham Roger was working on the in the community. No, but like, no. I used to go. It, no, no, no. I'm not saying it's him, but I said I love. I'm talking. I'm, I'm no. saying he's more than a lad I to play with at Luton. Right. Yeah. Who's now where? Because it's the end of the world. Grimsby. No it one. Is. I used to say to him. Why? Why are you? This is when he left Luton. 
why are you signing for Grimsby? I said, listen, that's, it's like it's like you need a passport to get there. It's, it's, it's another place. And to be honest with you, um, on that, I know, we're, I know we're going slightly off topic, but I'll give you some thinking time uh, as well. That, the, the reason I ended up with Grimsby was logistically, I knew I was coming to the end of my career. Family had moved back to Norwich. I needed something that was the east side of, of the country that I could commute to every day. Grimsby and Lincoln were the options. I ended up at Grimsby, but there's also another reason I ended up at Grimsby and who might the manager have been at the time? Newell. Newley. Newley. Mike Newell. Oh, Newley. 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 Yeah, and Brian um, Steen, so I ended up going to join them. I, I don't know if he was a centre-back, but I'm just going to throw the, the only name I could think of, Mark Hudson. No, no, no. <laughs> so did he come through? Because the only, only one that no, I so remember I, I was Robbie Stockdale. I, Robbie Stockdale was there for a while. No, Rob. so Robbie was there. Robbie was at Grimsby with me, but it wasn't Robbie. It wasn't Robbie, I think. If I'm right, I think this player started at Peterborough and ended up going back to Peterborough. Oh, he started his career at Peterborough. I think he started. I think he started as a youngster at Peterborough, but then ended up actually making his debut and playing his first first professional games at Grimsby. And he ended up at Wolves, Leicester. I'll give you a clue. He's still now currently playing in the Championship for Swansea City. Had a good career at Norwich. Good at Wolves, as I say, Leicester. He's done me. I mean, I, I'm not one of those ones to be grasping, grasping at straws. <laughs> I think you've done me. You've well, done no, me. Go on, go on. Oh, no. Okay, so the player in question is a player called Ryan Bennett. Ryan Bennett. Ryan Bennett. Now, it wouldn't necessarily be one of the names that you go, wow, he went and played a million games in the Premier League. But the one thing with him, as I say, captain at 19 in a team that was struggling in League 2, but how he behaved, how he conducted himself and how he played, you knew this this kid at the time was going to go on to have fantastic things. Did I know he'd have the career he had? Of course not, no. And even now, you know, that's the, you just looked at him and knew that there was something special about him. He had a laid-back demeanour and still, I would say, when you look at him play now, he still has quite a laid-back demeanour, but was aggressive in his headers, was aggressive in his tackles comfortable and confident on the ball, was vocal in the dressing room, even at the age of 19, speaking to senior pros like myself <clears> and <throat> demanding from us as senior as senior pros as well at such a tender age. So yeah, fan, fantastic player. And I think, you know, looking at the performances, performances that he put in, you know, Premier League football, that is the elite of the elite. The elite of the elite are the players that get to play in the Premier League and have longevity in the Premier League. And he's done that. And now even playing for a club the size of Swansea City, yeah. you know, it's, it's still a massive club, even though it looks like they're going to miss out on the playoff place this year. I think with Russ Martin and Matty Gill at the helm there, they might go again next year. But, you know, for me, uh, yeah, so pleased to have played a small part in his journey. And, you know, I hope that me being that senior pro working alongside him maybe gave him a little bit of detail, a little bit of information that allowed him to flourish and allowed, to, allowed him to go on to achieve what he achieved. So a bit of an obscure name, probably one that won't have been put out there. But for me, yeah, a fantastic yeah. young defender that went on to have a great career. Great yep. career. That's why it's called your, that's why it's your best 11. Yeah, exactly <laughs> that. That's, 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 that's so true. And, and hearing some of these names and finding out some of these people, because there are a lot of people listening, including myself and Marv, that will probably do a bit of a deep dive on having a look at him now. Um, yeah. Even though we would have heard of him, probably seen him, and but not really picked up on him. Yeah. So yeah. awesome. Who's next to, who's next to <sighs> Bennett? Okay, so again, this might be another name that might not fly straight off the out of your brain straight away, but this chap um, started off at Southampton, also played for Sheffield Wednesday and Barnsley before 
playing for Swansea City. So obviously play with me at Swansea. Life and soul of the party, a bit of a smiling assassin because he was hilarious. Very, very similar to Kevin Nichols, I would say, in how he conducted himself around the place. Um, but with the smiles, there was a steely determination behind those smiley eyes. He also went on to manage several teams, oh. whether it be... <laughs> you, got you got it, it Mark? What said again? Say again? He, <clears throat> he went on to manage as well, he said. Yes, yes. And he managed some big is clubs he, as well. Blonde hair. Correct. Yeah. And is he... Is he I can't believe that. He went on to Gary, manage... Gary, Gary Monk. Come on. Gary Monk. Yes, Marv. <laughs> yes, Marv. Get out, Marv. Get out. Yes, Good Marv. Work. Good work, you. Good work, you. Yes. Yes, Gary Monk. Yeah, where is he now, Daisy? Yeah. So he's he's not he's not in the game and he's not in the game at the moment. Obviously, he went on to manage Swansea, Leeds, Middlesbrough, Birmingham. So managed some fantastic teams, but you know, with the managerial merry-go-round, I think there's one thing you do know as a manager, you're gonna get sacked. I think that's inevitable at some point. Yes. You have your success, the highs, the lows. And I think that's one thing I'm learning from a coach and a management point of view now is to not get too high with the highs and not get too low with the lows because you know there's inevitable things you're gonna lose games, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But the the thing with the thing with monks and similar to Luton in that the how can I word it the team spirit the camaraderie was driven by monks and another couple of players as well. Life sold the party. Whenever there was a night out, he was there. Whenever there was fun to be had, he was there. But come three o'clock, your captain that you wanted to lead by example, he was that man. He really, he really was. So, you know, again, it is no surprise to me that I don't think, or I don't know definitely if he, if he had in his head that he was going to go into management. And though he went from, you know, as a caretaker manager at Swansea, did really well, then ended up getting the job full time. And that obviously started his journey to becoming the manager that he did. Um, but I don't necessarily know if that was something he had planned, you know, on his journey to come out of playing, to go straight into management. But you know, massive respect for him and also what I learned from him I was you know several hundred games in by the time I went to, to Swansea but watching him and his behaviours how he conducted himself and the professional element he had certainly shaped some of my behaviours within that group and within that squad and it was a very very successful squad at Swansea as well led by him led by him so yeah Marv well done Doug that one out Marvin dig, dig, dig that one out no definitely I mean um, just talking about Swansea um, and I've been doing a bit of a read on there. Uh, obviously, your time at Swansea, very, very successful um, yeah. at Swansea and loved your time there. Um, talk us through you, how you ended up at Swansea. I mean, going from Luton across to Swansea and then, um, like you said, yeah. you're, you're a Norwich boy. It's a hell of a way. Yeah. And then to end up it, going to Blackpool it, afterwards. Well, it's, you know what, I did, I, I did the magical mystery tour of the UK with my football career. So, obviously, I was actually born and bred in Northwest London. Um, moved up to Norwich as soon as I finished my GCSEs. Um, I was actually playing for Brentford and Norwich at the same time because obviously Brentford was, Brentford was my Brentford or QPR would have been my closest two teams. But Brentford told me straight um, when I was 15, um, you're really quick. You've got no left foot. Your right foot's okay. If we were you, we'd give up on your footballing dream and concentrate on your education. That's what Brentford told me when I was 15. And I'll never forget. George Dobson, his name was. I'll never forget him telling me that. I was like, fine, okay, thanks, George. I'll just go and sign for Norwich then. That was <laughs> that was the catalyst that drove me. Um, but going back to, to Luton, to, to Swansea, in reality, the only reason I ended up at Swansea was because Luton was in administration. Luton had offered me um, uh, a new contract on 
fairly reduced terms because obviously the club was in administration so financially they didn't have the money but in the same time that they offered me terms um, basically Swansea got in touch with my agent and got in touch with the administrators and said that they basically want me the administrators then said basically well we know we can get you off the wage bill because this team's shown interest so we're retracting that contract that's me done it was as simple and as short wow. as that simple and as short as that so off I went basically um, you know there was teams there was other teams interested as well so from an aid me and my agent's point of view well hang on a minute if I'm going to have to leave let's not throw all our eggs into the Swansea basket so in one day we went on a bit of a trip and we took in Swindon we took in Bristol Rovers we took in Yeovil and we took in Swansea so by the time I got to Swansea at the end of the day I was absolutely shattered but there was just something about Swansea that as soon as I went there I was like yeah this is this is the place for me meeting the manager Kenny Jacket at the time meeting the owner at the time Hugh Jenkins and everyone else around the club they made me feel so welcome from the outset because they were just about uh, to start their rise weren't they because Hugh Jenkins was chairman when the rise yeah. began wasn't he and they built they, they the new were, stadium and, and all sorts yeah and unbeknown to this idiot when I signed the year before they'd avoided relegation out of the football league by one game they went into the last game of the season needing to win otherwise they'd have been relegated to the conference and the player James Thomas scored a hat-trick I didn't know any of that. So I'm signing for a club that's almost gone into obscurity the year before. And I'm like, yeah, where's the pen? I'll sign. I can't wait to join. No understanding of where I could be signing and what could be happening. But as you said, the, the project that they spoke to me about um, was massive. You know, I was at the old ground, which was the Betchfield. They told me straight, we've got one year left here. And then we're moving to our new stadium. And I was like, oh, that old one. Yeah, new stadium. <laughs> that's going to be built next year, isn't it? Went, yeah, we'll take you to that as well. I was like, Oh wow, it's actually being it's it's being built. It's <laughs> oh right, okay. And I, I paid it lip service because I just thought you've heard those. You know, when I signed for Luton, it was talk about the Cola Dome. Marvel notice, and I was like, Yeah, that's never happened. At least I want Luton now. Power Court is genuinely gonna happen. Right. You can't wait for Power Court to be built. But I just thought it was gonna be exactly the same scenario as Luton, but got in the car and went across to the stadium. The infrastructure was already there, everything was being put in place, and you go, you know what? This is the place for me. And it's one of the best decisions I made because I absolutely loved my time there. The, the management team, the coaching staff, the players, the area with my young family. Oh, beautiful, beautiful place to live. So really glad that the, the decision to leave Luton was taken out of my hands. So but, obviously, did, sorry, did they, did, they, did they sign you on a free transfer then? Or yes. did they have to pay money to you? No, they got okay. me on a free. Right, yeah, okay. They got me on a free. I just wondered was when you said, oh, like, oh, we're taking away this contract. This is looted now, taking away this yeah. contract because we know this club wants you. I was just wondering if they were going to be trying to be like cheeky and say, hey, we want like blah, 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 just to help with the money situation or something. No, no. So no. I was, in effect, I was I was out of contract to Luton anyway. Right. So they were like, yeah. So yeah, I had no choice. So, so off, I, off I went. Um, and, you know, it, it was tinged with disappointment because I didn't want to leave Luton. You know, everything that I needed, everything that I wanted, my life, it, was, it was here, it was in Luton. And I loved it. But if I could have picked a club to have gone to, and if I could say the decision that I made was right, it was the right it was the right decision because yeah. the success that we had, um, that that group had, that Kenny Jacket put together, and almost put together a team of players that had been released by clubs or had points to prove, Kenny Jacket put us together, moulded us, and yeah, we went on to have a really successful time, really really successful two seasons. So. You know, I, I don't regret the decision. It was one. It was a strange one, though, Marv, because I think I ended up that last season, my last year for Luton, ended up scoring something like eighteen goals right, in that yeah, last that was, season. 
yeah. And then you was like, and I've ended up leaving on a free, which just summed up, you know, the turmoil that Luton was in at the time, because you look at that now, that would never happen. It would never happen now. A player scoring 18 goals and then ends up walking from the club on a free. Again, I say walking from the club, not my choice, but you'd never see that happen in this in this day and age. Never at all. Never. Uh, that's a really interesting that's, that's, that's interesting as a player's perspective that you almost just got to go do you know what I'm going to do a merry-go-round tour and work out who I'm going to sign for on, on a day trip almost and like you said yeah, have, have a few different places So, but Swansea what a club to go to and on the way up and I've read up that you, you scored the final goal at their old ground yeah I did it was a, the final league goal at the Vetch it was a really really surreal day you know the, we knew the stadium was being built in the background we knew everything was ready and whilst no one at the club actually said, boy, lads, we can't go into this brand new 22,500-seater stadium that's been purpose-built in League Two. No one actually said that to us, but we almost knew, with all due respect to League Two, we can't go into this beautiful new stadium playing League Two football. It can't happen. It can't happen. I can remember, actually, leading up to that game when I scored that goal against Shrewsbury, I was horrendous. Probably the two games before that, I was so, so, so bad. Um were they playing you as a striker or as a winger? I was I was a winger. I was a winger, but I wasn't beating people. I wasn't getting crosses in the box. I wasn't creating any opportunities. I was performing really poorly. Um, and I knew this game was coming up. The last home game, there was the fanfare around it was massive. You want to be part of this game. And I know there's no way I should be part of this game because at the moment I'm playing horrendous. And the manager, Kenny Jackett, pulled me on the Friday. He went, I'm going to be honest with you, Adrian, you ain't been playing great the last couple of weeks. And I'm like, oh, he's telling me early that he's going to bin me. He said, but I think you, I know you're a big game player for me and I think you're going to turn up tomorrow. I'm telling you now you're starting, but I need you tomorrow. And that just lifted me. I was like, right, in that case then, <clears throat> I'm going to play for you, Gaffer, no problem. And as I say, uh, as you say, it was a few minutes into the game. I think it was Lee Trundle, it might have been, or maybe even Kevin McLeod that put me through on goal. And I see Joe Hart come rushing out. And I was like, oh, this is Joe Hart. He's just off to Man City after this. Brilliant. I've got to get this one curl around him. And I just managed to curl it around him and whip it in the top corner. And I'll never forget running off to the North Bank, which was an old school stand. No seats, just people standing. Absolute seams going off in the stand. And, you know, that's a memory that's going to live long. A memory that's going to live long in my mind. You know, I've got the pictures of it. So I've got three or four stills of me running through, hitting the shot running away to the fans and jumping in the air in front of them and they're vivid memories that will stick with me forever as you know I've still got the shirt that I played in on the day and then randomly another random story was the week after so we're we're level on points with Southend the week after we're third Southend to fourth but we're level and whoever wins on the day gets promoted to League One so we've got Berry away so we've got six and a half thousand Swansea fans have travelled from Swansea to basically to Manchester to Gig Lane We've got the monopoly of the ground. Berry have only got 1,500 fans there. So Berry have given Swansea the whole of the ground. So, <laughs> so it's really random. Because we've got so many fans, our game kicks off 10 minutes later than South Ends. So our game kicks off. It goes from um, striker to striker, back to Christian O'Leary, Christian O'Leary to Leon Britton. Leon Britton kicks the ball over the top. I sprint after it, head it forward, volley it, goal seven seconds or something like that we score absolute six and a half thousand fans going mad there's a pitch invasion it's all going off we're ushering the fans off the pitch so that's pitch invasion number one next thing I know Southend concede a goal pitch invasion number two 
Southend fans are running on the pitch. Lads, Southend have conceded. If we see what we're doing, we're promoted, we're promoted. So now we're about 15 minutes behind the Southend game. So we go in at half time, come back out, play our game. Bear in mind, I score after seven seconds. We defend for the rest of the game. We, <laughs> we don't create any opportunities. We're horrendous. Nerves have really kicked in. So then Southend game finishes and they lose. So then there's another pitch invasion because the fans are running on to tell us, don't lose. If you just keep the score at 1-0, we we're promoted, we're promoted. So anyway, referee then tells us that if the players come on again, I might have to abandon the game. If the fans come on, I might have to abandon the game. So we're ushering the fans, all the players are ushering the fans off, making sure they don't come on. Then the referee says, right, we've got two minutes left on the game. I'm going to blow the whistle in a minute. Start making your way to the tunnel because he knows it's all going to go off. Blows a full-time whistle. And this is on YouTube. Blows a full-time whistle. Six and a half thousand mad jacks, as they're called down there, run on the pitch. It's all kicking off. So then the story gets even better. Game finishes. We're all celebrating. We want to go and see the fans, but we can't get on the pitch. So one of the stewards at Berry comes up with a great idea and says, if you got that central staircase, you can look at all the fans over the stand. So we're like, oh, brilliant. We'll go up there. So we're up there. We've got champagne. We're popping the corks. We're bottles of bubbly everywhere. And the next thing, our big goalkeeper, Willie Garay, almost gets pushed over the side. If he'd have got pushed over the side, he would have landed on top of the dugouts. He's severely injured. But the only reason he got pushed is because we had the Greater Manchester Police trying to usher us back down this central staircase. So they're pushing us from the right and pushing us from the left. Willie gets stuck in the middle. All of a sudden, in his broken English, Willie says something a bit expletive to a police officer. The police officer turns around and says, if you speak to me again like that, I'll arrest you for foul and abusive language. Willie proceeds to swear at the, at the um, police officer again. He gets arrested. So we've just been promoted from League Two to League One. All the players are obviously lively, chirpy, bubbly. The fans have seen it all unfold. Our big goalkeeper is getting bundled back down in handcuffs, bundled back down the stairs by four coppers, in the back of the van, carted off to the police station. You couldn't write it, but it's true. You could, you couldn't, you could not write it. And that, I think, that story just sums up Swansea the time there and how successful we were. Uh, a bunch of players that were put together by Kenny Jacket, but the team spirit and the camaraderie similar to Luton led us to success. Led but you can't success. leave it there. Can't, what, so what, what happened, happened yeah. with Willie? Yeah, well, oh, did he? So, oh, so what, was he in, what happened? Overnight? Or did he? No. <laughs> so what happened? We then got on the team bus. So you picture what team coaches are like, but obviously they're massive, aren't they? It's not your standard coach. So we get on the team bus, and this is so silly. We're all we're all chanting "Free Willie," aren't we? <laughs> so we're all chanting, "Free Willie, Free Willie." So we get on the team bus with the the chairman's now on the team coach. So we go to Greater Manchester Police Station, and it, the team coach literally bumps up on the curb. It's priceless. So door opens, Kenny Jacket off he goes. See what's going on. Twenty minutes, half an hour late, and the manager gets back on the bus. He goes, "Right, lads, they're just giving him an eighty pound fine, but he but." But he's giving him an £80 fine, but he's going to be an hour or so. What are we doing? Are we waiting for him or are we starting a journey back? And we were like, no, 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 no. Will he save us penalties, saves, coming through crosses? He saved us all season. We are not going back without him. Brilliant. So he goes, right then, driver, turn the bus round, go and find an off-licence. So literally, <laughs> literally, you've then got um, Gary Monk, who's a skipper, and one other player, who I can't say at the moment, because it'll become relevant in a little while. Nice, nice little clue there. Um, we literally, turn the bus round, go to like a retail park. Half the lads walk into Asda with a bit of a whip to get the drink. 
another but another group walk into McDonald's and buy just loads and loads of McDonald's. We then go back to go to the police station, pick up Willie, and then we start the long journey back to Swansea. Absolutely brilliant. But the funny thing is, he's still got his kit on because he got arrested in his kit, didn't he? So he's just got like, oh. he's got no top because he'd thrown his top into the crowd. He's still got his shorts on. He's still got his socks and shin pads on. <laughs> and that's how he travelled back down to Swansea and actually went straight out in Swansea that night in that outfit as well. So yeah, great time. Great, great, great times. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Couldn't write it. Couldn't write it. Couldn't. <laughs> awesome. So what we're going to do is we're going to pause it right there and yeah. uh, for a quick break. And then when we come back from the break, we'll hear Mars 60 Seconds and the rest of... Adrian Forbes is my best 11. Welcome back to the second part of my best 11 with Adrian Forbes. So far, Rob Green, Emerson Boyce, Maddie Taylor, Ryan Bennett and Gary Monk. Before we keep going with the best 11, we're going to hand straight over to Marv for Marv's 60 seconds. Marvin. Okay. Um, Favourite other sport? Oh, table tennis. VAR or no VAR? No VAR. Funniest player? <laughs> Kevin Nichols. <laughs> um, golden goal or penalty shootout? Penalty shootout. Beer, wine or spirit? Wine. Best ground you've played at? Wembley. Bundesliga, La Liga or Serie A for quality? La Liga. Fish and chips Pie and chips or pasta? Fish and chips. <laughs> if you wasn't a footballer, what would you have done? If I wasn't a footballer, I would have done something to do with cars or motor racing. Hmm. And last one, Marv. All right. And favourite holiday destination? Oh, now I'm going to say this. I've not been there. I've been there a long, long time ago, but I'm trying to sort out myself and the fiancé going there to see my mum and dad, but St. Kitts and Nevis. Can't beat the Caribbean. Okay. Very nice. Very nice. I'm going to go back to your table tennis comment, though, right at the start. <laughs> I saw I saw Marv's face when I said that. <laughs> I, I, I've never seen that. I mean, I, I, I thought, what? <laughs> you, you can hardly see above the table. How can you play table tennis? Oh, I'm actually crying, Marv. I tried to keep a straight face, but you could see the shot. Like what? <laughs> I have always, you know, you know, it's one of those, it's one of those things, right? Where, so I played a lot of cricket growing up, but I wouldn't say I really loved playing cricket. I was a good wicket keeper, etc. But I absolutely loved playing table tennis. I don't know if it falls under the bracket of a sport, but I do really enjoy playing table tennis. I think it's that it stems from being back at Norwich and we had a table tennis table in the in the one of the lounges there. So you're playing tables, table tennis every single day. Every day you're playing it, you're playing it, you're playing it. And randomly, I'm not too bad at it. So, yeah. That you, would be, you was up there? You was up there as one of the champions? I, was, I would say I was one of the better ones. There were some good you players. And who, you, and you and who? You and who? You and who? Do you know what? There was <laughs> Chris Llewellyn, who, I went, who was one of my teammates there, went on to play for the first team with me in Norwich. He was pretty good. Left-handed, he was pretty good. Um, but I'd say me and him are up there and another player, Daryl Russell, not too bad neither. But yeah. I would put myself with one of the better ones for sure. For okay. sure. But if I had if I had to go away from that, it would link to what I said is what I would have done um, had I not become a footballer. I love love cars. Absolutely love everything to do with cars. So if I could have got involved in some form of motor racing, whether it probably would have been not Formula One, um, but 
you know, some form of rally car would have been my ideal set. I would have been my ideal. Would have been my ideal. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. So we're going to move or keep going on your best 11. Um, we're going to go to midfield. So wherever you want to start, really, it's up to you. Well, I'm going to start with my holding midfielder now. Um, this will be an easy one for you because I've mentioned them a couple of times already. But um, a fantastic captain to work for, um, led by example on the pitch. Off the pitch sometimes you had to try and rein him in, but he was a loose cannon at times and nothing you could do about him. But if you went in the trenches, you definitely wanted this chap next to you. You definitely wanted this chap next year. Um, and you played England. And you played England under eighteen with him, didn't you? I did. Yeah, <laughs> I did. I did. So you know who I'm going on about. Um, he's been on here already. <coughs> Go on, Andrew. Nick, Mister Nichols. Mister Kevin Nichols. Yeah, he was just immense. Um, and I think with Nico, we signed for Luton at exactly the same time. Um, I think a matter of days apart, to be honest with you. So you get that transitional period when you walk in the dressing room. And there's always that thing where you go, you never know when you walk into the dressing room. There's always in some dressing rooms, and I, I will say there wasn't one in the Luton dressing room in my time there anyway. But there could always be a bad egg in a dressing room. There could always be that player in a dressing room that you don't want to be associated with. But when you walk in as a new signing, you don't necessarily know that. So you have to be so careful with who you go and sit next to. So naturally, if you're a new signing and there's other new signings in there, you gravitate towards those players. And me and Nico done that along with a few others. But as I say, there was no bad eggs at all in that in that dressing room. But having Nico as the captain, it just galvanised it even more. It just brought it together even more. Um, whether it be pranks in the dressing room, whether it be <laughs> I know you meant I know you mentioned it on here about um, a certain person's um, underwear that was put on a firework, but. <laughs> Marv, can you remember him setting the big one off in the dressing room as well, Marv? Yes, no, I, was, I, I think I was hiding the other towel. He was going, like, ricochet. could have killed someone. Could have killed someone. But when I say he brought in, he brought in this box, right? The same, so it was the same batch of fireworks that he brought where Steenie's um, boxes went flying. It was um, a box that had something like six to eight ignition points on this box of fireworks. And you know when you, lads being lads and you give it that one, oh, I bet you don't set it in, I bet you don't set it off in here. You couldn't say that to Nico because he went, I bet I do, bet you don't, bang. Before you know it, there was bodies everywhere. People sprinting, <laughs> people sprinting, <laughs> people sprinting into the boot room, two or three bodies in the physio room. There's a couple of people in the big bath, and it's all going off. It's all going off like fireworks going off everywhere. The fire alarms going off, there's sprinklers going off. And I can remember it clearly, laughing through fear, <laughs> literally laughing through fear. <laughs> but that that was kept. But that aside, those little things brought us together as a group, Marv, didn't it? It made That's us right. stronger. It made the team spirit better. And you knew that if there was, you know, even little things like when it came to the beginning of the season, you need to negotiate your bonuses and all that. You knew Nico was going to go in and fight for you. You knew Nico was going to come out with something that was going to be beneficial for everyone. And the bit I loved about him as a captain most, if you were in the crap, if you were struggling with anything, you knew your skipper was going to be there to back you, whether that's on the pitch or off the pitch. And I thought Nico was excellent at that. As to be fair, as was Gary Monk and other 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 captains I worked with, but the way that Nico went about it, a special talent. But the one thing I haven't mentioned, the boy could play as well. My yeah. word, he could play as well. Yeah. He really, really, really could play. And I think that sometimes that sometimes went unnoticed and that everyone everyone looked at him and almost saw him as a 
tough tackler, um, that aggressor, that one that would put his foot in. And I think because he was prepared to put his foot in, that's why he ended up with so many injuries. But for me as a winger, him spinning balls in the channel for me to get in, get in, get on the end of him playing balls up to the striker to play off um, the way he marshaled things and the way he controlled other players around him. Yeah, exceptional, exceptional footballer as well, on top of everything else that he brought to the table. So for me, I would have to have him in there as my holding midfielder. Mm. Have to. No, good choice. Do you do you think it's a bit of a, a it's it's a shame in a way for players coming through that Nico doesn't do kind of coaching at, at, at clubs in the championship and things like that. Do you think he think he'd have so much to offer them? Um, obviously, like you said, he came through under 18. So he he was a player. He really was a player. He was. Playing for England. He was. And, you know, even playing for England, he was no different playing for England than he was playing for Luton. You know, I was next to him then, you know, wearing that, wearing the free lines on your chest. And so I, I, I have seen it firsthand that it wasn't just I can play for Luton in this way, but I play for This was Kev Nichols and this is what he done. And yeah, I 100% as a coach, he could give something back to young players coming through. But I also do know that, you know, every player that comes out of the game is different. Not mm. it, Coaching isn't for everyone. And, you know, I'm seeing that now. There's some real challenges that come with coaching. You know, I'm looking at it this time of year when, you know, over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to have to tell people that, unfortunately, there's not going to be a contract for you next season at Luton Town. That's really, really tough. And it's not for everyone. And not everyone wants to be out on the grass coaching every day in all weathers yeah. and all conditions. And it's great that actually he's still involved in it from an agent point of view, helping people get their chance and helping people get clubs. So he still is around it. Um, and hopefully in knowing him, I'm pretty certain he's still giving those players detailed information. Well, he said it himself, didn't he? You know, when he was on here with you guys about being the mentor. Yeah. So he's still having a positive impact on the players he's working with, just not actively out on the grass with them. So it, it's no surprise. And I think the beautiful thing with, with Nico as well is similar to myself, the humility and the humble nature to him where he can say, I did make mistakes. I made many a mistake, but that was me. I can't change those mistakes. All I can do now is give back and help those players that I am representing and I am mentoring, help them not make those mistakes in their journey so they can flourish. And I think he's, I think he's done that and I think he is doing that as well. So yeah, fantastic chap. Fantastic chap, oh, I've got to say. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> so we'll move on to the players either side. Okay, so I'm going to go on the right-hand side first. So this player um, started his journey at uh, Real Zaragoza before coming to the UK to play for uh, a Wigan team with two other Spanish players. Went on to be very successful at Wigan, was also very successful um, at Swansea. Now gone on to be a very, 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 very successful manager in his own right and is currently managing at quite a high team now. Any ideas? The second best in the world, aren't they? Martinez. Correct. Roberto Roberto Martinez. This suave gentleman. I, you know, Roberto was the guy that all the Swansea lads would be going out. The drinks would be flying. It'd be quite happy and content in the corner of a coffee. That was Robbie. That was how, that was how how he was. And learned so much from him about the way he conducted himself. Learned so much from him about how, when you saw him play and when you saw how intently he listened to the coaching staff and players around him and how he spoke during a game, you knew he was going to be a manager because he, his attention to detail was unbelievable. And he would almost be coaching whilst playing. Yeah. And it was between him. It was Roberto and Gary Monk that were the captains, as we say. 
but they led in different ways. Roberto wasn't, they, they weren't, neither of them were shouters, but Roberto would lead by with a calming influence and just talking people through the game, dragging people around him. You should be here. You should be there. Why aren't you here? You should be doing this. You should be doing that. Get yourself in. If we do this, we're nice and compact. We're not. He was coaching nonstop. So almost managing the team for Kenny Jacket when we were playing. And also there'll be times when, and if you picture what the, what the dressing was like sometimes at Luton Marv, where you come in at halftime and all hell's breaking loose. You think we had some characters where everyone was almost talking over everyone sometimes and then Nico would shout louder than the next person and then the next person would shout. Sometimes that would happen and Robbie would just relax, gather his thoughts and then he'd talk. And then when he spoke, everyone sort of shut up and listened because you knew the detail and the information that he was going to give you was going to be relevant and was going to make a difference. And I think I look at him now and what he's gone on to achieve from a management point of view, which is just amazing, you know, managing Belgium, wow. wow. You know, and the, the team of staff that he's had around him is an, is an amazing achievement. And, you know, one that I'm sure, you know, there's been a lot of people have touted him to go on and manage some of the big clubs, your Madrid, your Barca, et cetera, et cetera. I can see him at time it, it, in the future coming away from Belgium and going back into team and club management again. But, yeah, the way he conducted himself was superb. Yeah, but the man could play. Short, sharp, simple passes, kept the ball moving. Very, very rare he gave possession away, but also had a real good understanding of the game in that, he was that player that would never need to slide tackle because he had such a good, clear brain and understanding how to play the game. He knew where to position himself so he didn't have to put in a slide tackle. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. How did, how did he go about from going from Zaragoza to the second tier of English football? I mean, yeah, it, it's it's totally different. Or is it? It's it, Well, you know, it, it must be totally different. You know, the climate alone must be... So, the climate alone is, is certainly different. But you wouldn't know that. His, the adaptation, I would say... You know, I, I I didn't know much about him when he played for Wigan, but, you know, just certainly playing alongside him, the adaptation to be able to cope with the rigours of League Two, League One, et cetera, et cetera, it was easy for him and effortless for him. And I think what you can say is, and this is no disrespect to League Two or League One, because that's where I played the majority of my football, but if you've got a good footballing brain, you are able to play at that level and play comfortably and easy. And that was Roberto. He could make the game look easy and make the game look effortless. Don't get me wrong, he had some real good footballers around him as well where he could get it and give it to these other players that were excellent at what they did. But yeah, he, he almost put a bit of a Spanish twist on good old-fashioned spit and stored, <laughs> sawdust grit of, of League Two. But yeah, absolutely delighted to play alongside him. Yeah, fantastic player. Really good player. Fabulous, fabulous. So we'll move on to the other side, left-hand side. The other side. So left-hand, Kev. So this player... Um, was an interesting one in that he turned up on trial at Blackpool. And if I remember correctly, no one knew he was coming in, but he turned this little lad, tiny, smaller than me, Marv, a lot smaller than me, turned up, left footer, and proceeded to join in training because like, well, you're here now, so you might as well join in. And that was it. No one could get the ball off him. Exceptional player. Started off at Livingston up in Scotland, played for Blackpool, as I say, um, played for another one of my old clubs, Norwich, West Brom, and is now still currently playing at Cambridge, Cambridge United. United. I think you were going to think it was Charlie Adam, Marv, but it's not. No, I wasn't no. thinking of a Charlie Adam. I know exactly this is. He's a wizard and he is loved by Cambridge fans. Yes. Go on, I, I, don't know, I, I, don't, I don't know who it is. I was, I was thinking of someone way, way beyond. It's, I didn't... it's Wes Houlihan. It oh, is Wes Houlihan. Yeah. It is Wes Houlihan. You use the word magician. He used the word mischief. He he killed my foot. He killed my football career at Blackpool. Absolutely killed me because it'd just go off. Give him the ball. So we played, we played a structured, a real structured 4-4-2. 
Um, but Wes would never stick to task. He'd just get the ball and go off on one. But invariably, he'd get the ball, go off on one, it'd end up in the back of the net. So he just goes, fine, you keep doing what you're doing, Wes, it's not a problem. So I then had to be a bit more defensive-minded and let him go and play, which was absolutely fine with me because with Wes's performance, it brought the whole team, Wes's performances, sorry, it brought the whole team success. So never an issue that he was able to go off and do that. And I think the beautiful thing about Wes, he was so unassuming, um, I wouldn't say he was the, one of the loudest ones in the dressing room, but he was always there when we're having a bit of fun, a bit of a laugh and a giggle. But when he got on the pitch, you couldn't get the ball off him. Yeah. All left foot, all left foot. He would always do this little pirouette with his left foot. And you're thinking, well, he's not going to get out of that gap. Oh, he has got out of that gap. How has he done that? And to be able to go and play for Norwich in the Premier League, be able to replicate that was just amazing. And I think the thing with Wes, the really interesting thing with Wes is he always just looked like he was playing football for fun. It wasn't a chore for him. He just enjoyed himself. And it was like he was playing street football every day. That's how it came across to him. Street football every day, enjoying life. And I can remember one story. Um, <laughs> I was training and obviously Simon Grayson um, was a manager and Tony Parks, bless him, who's um, struggling with dementia at the moment, Tony. Um, he's gone through, beat three or four players, went to shoot, missed and didn't track back. Probably a minute later, I went through beat three or four players, took a shot, hit the post, went off, and I didn't track back. And Tony passed, whoa, 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 Forbesy, stop being a lazy so-and-so, get yourself back in shape, what are you doing? And I've gone, whoa, hang on a minute. It's all right for him to not track back, but as soon as I do it, it's an issue. He went, yeah, that's because he's Wes Houlihan and you're not. Get yourself back in shape. Right, and that, that summed up Wes. <laughs> he literally had the monopoly to go and play and almost do what he wanted, but Without him, you know, Blackpool certainly didn't have the success. So yeah. he's another one. I know I've said it before. It's no surprise that he's managed to go on and achieve, you know, what he's achieved. And now, you know, he's still someone that I see now and again because we still he still lives in Norwich, as I do. And there's a lot of people that um, came to Norwich, have now gone off and done other things, but still live in Norwich. There's a lot of old ex-pros around there, but it's amazing that he's still able to go and play Every Saturday, I know he doesn't do many midweek midweek games, but it's amazing that he's still able to perform to the level he's performing at Cambridge as well. No mean feat. So massive respect to him that he's managed to keep himself in such a great shape. He must be 37 now, in such great shape to, to be able to still be able to perform yeah. at that level. So massive great credit to him. Ah, definitely. Definitely. So we will move on to the front three. The front three. So I'm going to go right to left. So this player... Um, he's Adrian Forbes. Started off... Sorry? Is Adrian Forbes? <laughs> no, no, no one's no, put no, themselves yet. No one's put I'd themselves put, yet. No, I couldn't no. possibly put myself in it. But this front three would have been absolutely deadly. So, starting on the right-hand side, this player, um, certainly a character on the pitch, certainly a character off the pitch, um, got, himself to the, got himself into the odd scrape, I would say, that led to, um, got himself into the odd scrape that led to him getting into little bits of trouble here and there. And they just charged me iPad. Um, then, was he Welsh? <laughs> oh, Marv, Marv, Marv. Was he Welsh? Yes, he was. So if you guess still, it already, I, think, I think he's still Welsh, Marv. Yeah, I think he is. He is definitely still Welsh. He is definitely still Welsh. Definitely still Welsh. Liverpool? So, Cardiff? Yes. Yes. Amongst many others. Amongst many, many, many he others. But yes, you clubs, guessed it. He must have had a dozen clubs, hasn't he? But the thing is, and should we say his name now? Yeah, 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 yeah. Keep yeah people no, they, they, they know um, Craig Bellamy. Yeah. Craig Bellamy. So 
he went on. Bellas's journey can almost be described as he played for your dream selection of football teams. Mm. If you look at a young lad and you go, right, young man, you're going to be a professional footballer and across your career, you're going to play for Norwich, Coventry, Newcastle, Celtic, Blackburn, Liverpool, West Ham, Manchester City, and then finish your career back in your hometown of Cardiff. You're going, yes, please, where do I, where do I sign up yeah. for that? To play for those, all of those clubs, you know, within the Premier League, other than Norwich and Cardiff, obviously you're going, wow, uh, amazing. But for all his scrapes and for all his, I would say, issues that he had, because he was a live wire, what a player. What a player. I can remember, I'm, I, throughout my, he was, we were together from under 11s all the way through to first team at Norwich. And I don't think this will ever happen again, but nine of us that were together from 11 all got professional contracts in Norwich City. Nine of us which I don't think you'll ever have. I could be wrong. I don't think you'll ever have in this day and age where somewhere a group comes through from that age all the way through. But I was the first one to make my debut. So we're talking, as I say, Robert Green, we're talking about myself. We're talking Craig Bellamy, Chris Llewellyn, um, Darren Kenton, as an example. They're just, just five. I made my debut first. And I can remember one of the first things when I came in on a Monday, I was like, oh, Forsey, what's it like to make your debut? You got on his against walls. It's oh, it was amazing. Craig had no input. He just turned around straight and went, if you're going to make your debut before me, I'm going to have one hell of a career. That's all he said. That's all he said. Cut me, just cut me down straight away. And now I'm looking at the list of teams that you play for. I'm going, you know what, mate? You weren't wrong. You weren't wrong. But that was him. Single-minded, determined, grit, passion, desire to be the best footballer he could be. And I used him now as an example of where I went wrong and where the young players that I can work with now. Not so much now when I'm working with players that are that little bit older, but certainly when I was at Norwich as the foundation phase lead, working with under um, 11s, 10s, 11s, 12s, 13-year-old players, I would say I'd get in my car at two o'clock in the afternoon, go home to my apartment thinking I've cracked it. When I'm walking into the car park to get in my car, Bellas is walking back out on the pitch with a bag of footballs on his own. Now, this was every day. This wasn't a one-off. This wasn't a tour. This was every single day he would go and better himself. Just getting the football, getting cones. Didn't ask anyone else for help. Just go and do his own sessions. Hit another 15, 20, 30, football, 40 balls a day. You times that by the course of a five-day week with a day off. Then you gain. You're only going to get better. You're only going to improve. And that's probably the one thing that I look at now and I go to myself, I wish I'd be more Craig Bellamy from that point of view because maybe if I'd have done that, I might have at least got one or two appearances in the Premier League, which I, I didn't achieve. And I hate the fact that I never managed to achieve that. But he had power. He had pace for someone that's not particularly tall or not particularly big. He could finish. He had the work rate to go and press and win the ball back. Yeah, just, just an exceptional talent. And as you say, you know, as I say, to, to go and play for the teams he played for, you've got to be some player to be able to achieve it at that. Because that is the pinnacle. Liverpool, the Mad City, that you look where they are in the league now. That's two huge clubs that he went on to play for. So, yeah, massive, massive credit to amazing career. Amazing uh, career. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <coughs> so, next to Bellamy or the other side before we get to the left hand side. Yeah. Before we get to the main man. So, on the left hand side, um, so this chap started off doing a bit of a tour of the lower leagues from uh, Bursco to Chorley to Staley Bridge, Southport, Bamber Bridge, and Rill. Then got his opportunity at Wrexham, an enigma of a player, um, a player that don't coach him, just let him go and play. Probably the most skillful player that I've had the pleasure of being on the football pitch with. 
And similar to Wes Houlihan, he just played for fun. Tricks, skills. He was nutmegging people in games before nutmegs were even a thing. Did amazing at Wrexham before getting his move to uh, Swansea. Then went on to play for Bristol City. Leeds on loan before coming back to Swansea City as well. Bit of a talisman and an all-round Swansea City legend. I know who it is. (laughs) You're going to take a punt? No, I'm not going to take a punt. I know exactly who it is. I know. Andrew, do you know who it is? I would. I mean, I would. I wouldn't. Have, I wouldn't. Have, I wouldn't have played him out on the left, obviously. But I know, obviously, you probably got some big hitter as a centre forward. That's why you've put him on the left. That's probably what's throwing me. Left yeah, foot. So left foot. Was he? Oh, he's both feet. Was he really? I suppose he was. He could use both, but he was predominantly left. Predominantly left foot. Yeah. And normally, if from a Swansea point of view, he would have played as a two. He would have played. He's, as yeah. A two. He's, I mean, he scored some unbelievable goals. Ridiculous. You goals. mentioned him already. I think. No. Potentially. Oh no! I don't know. Maybe. No, you haven't. You haven't. Anyway, let's just say it then. Lee Trundle. Yeah, you've mentioned him already. Yeah, Trundle. Yeah. Lee Trundle. Lee. I might have mentioned him when yeah. talking about my time at Swansea. Yes, Lee Trundle. <laughs> this, the things this guy yeah. could do with a football. The things this guy could do with a football was just was just ridiculous. And him and um, another player who probably should have found his way in there, Andy Robinson, the, the two Scousers loved each other to bits. Their, their bond and their relationship that they had on, on and off the pitch was ridiculous and they would just go and really just take the mick when they were playing how they would how they would com- like non-verbal communication to understand where each person was and like I say Lee on the ball tricks skills he could do any kind of finish from a header probably heading probably wasn't his strongest point but he could head the ball he could left foot was a joke not a great deal of backlift similar to Matty Taylor um, overhead kicks Everything went in the top corner. That he, he, he was just an amazing, amazing player, and I've never seen someone manipulate the ball as much as much as he could. I can remember we were playing, and it was the LDV Vans, I think it was called then, and we were already, we'd be beating Colchester at home, something like four one in the first leg, so we knew we were through. So Kenny Jacket made quite a few changes in the second leg, and you know myself, I was on the bench. I think Leon Knight was on the bench, Lee Trundle was on the bench, and we're up at Layer Road. It was the old Colchester's old ground, and we come out half time, and the half time entertainment's out there. And obviously the Colchester fans are giving us a little bit of stick. So we're ignoring it. So I clip a ball 30 odd yards into Lee and he controls it on his chest, then catches it on the back of his neck, flicks it up three or four times, volleys it straight back to me. I take a touch, put it on the floor, very safe, clip another one back to him. He then catches it between his thigh and his chest, flicks it up, rolls it over the back of his shoulders, volleys it. Half-time entertainment for Colchester that they paid for. No one was watching. The whole ground was just watching Lee Trundle doing his tricks and skills. To the point after that 15-minute period, he got clapped off. They're, they're like clapping him off because they couldn't believe they couldn't believe what he'd seen, what they'd seen. It, it, it was just an amazing talent. And I think what, what really impressed me about Lee as well, that he left Swansea and went to Bristol City in a big money move. Um, he, scored, he scored some goals there, but I would say it didn't quite work out the same as he wanted to when he was at Swansea. But understandably, you know, when that, when that big money move comes calling you, you've got to take it. Totally understand that. And he was right to do that but then came back to Swansea and was able to pick up where he left off and was able to perform again to the highest level, you know, in scoring goal after goal after goal. And no surprise that, you know, no surprise that he went on to have the career he had. Arguably could have played could have played higher because he could link play so well and hold the ball up so well as well. So, yeah, an exceptional talent and another one that was the life and soul of the party. Whenever there was a night out, nine times out of ten, it was him that organised it. But if he organised it, we, we were all there and we had some great nights out down there as well. So, yeah, special, special talent, Lee Trundle, special talent. 
Fantastic. Excellent. So who is the big, well, I say big man, who's the big man or maybe a little man? Because um, No, no, no. <laughs> have we gone big, big man, man up front? He's a big, big man. man. This will be an easy one for you. This man uh, allowed me to realise that I could, I could be a good finisher. This man allowed me to actually become a relatively good striker because without this man, I wouldn't have got on the edge of flick-ons or through balls or have him hold the ball up for me to allow me to go and perform to the level I did in my last season at Luton. Um, a lot of people would have looked at him as just being a big target man, but he had so much more to offer. And what he went on to achieve from his time at Luton was just nothing short of exceptional. So really, really, really proud to have had a season playing up top wheel, two seasons, shall I say, playing with him. Um, he's had a year out injured here at Luton so two seasons playing with him and one up front with him yeah absolutely amazing and I'll never forget that year and we're just goal after goal after goal after goal between us so I think you know I think you guys are going to know straight away who he is Mr Steve Howard Steve Howard Mr yeah Mr Steve Howard he, he, I know I know Nico put him in his as well but he, <laughs> what do you the, say the whole <laughs> Little and large combo, shall we say? It was me and Howie. We were the little and large combo. He would be able to flick things on for me. I knew exactly because of the understanding we had. I knew exactly where he was going to flick the ball to. He knew exactly where I was going to make him run. I knew if it went up to him and he had to hold it up with his chest, I know it's going to stick. So then I knew where to make my next movement off of that because I know no one can get round him. No one can get over him. I knew as soon as he did receive it and he could spin, I could make my runs in behind the defence to stretch play because I know he's going to slide me in. And also, with me being a bit of a pain in the backside and being a bit of a nuisance, I knew the big man was there to back me up if anything ever went wrong and no one's going to argue with him. Absolutely no one's going to argue with him. So you'd have him to deal with things or Coiny to deal with things or someone like Sol to deal with things. I knew I could be a bit of a pest and a nuisance and no one was going to, no one was going to mess with me after that. But, you know, what Howie went on to achieve after being here um, at a club where, and you'll agree with this, Marv, we didn't have much, you know, we trained, we had to change at the stadium, then get in cars and drive across to the rugby club, then get back in the cars all horrible and dirty and then drive back to Kenilworth Road to get a shower. I don't even think we got food. I think we used to go, we actually went to the sandwich shop around the corner. We all yeah, went for the sandwich right. afterwards. That's what we did. Yeah. So, you know, we didn't have anything. All we had was good, honest bunch of footballers that worked their socks off to be the best they could be. And you look at how we then going on to, you know, become a Premier League player. Yeah, absolutely. Just so much, so much credit for him. And on top of everything, what a lovely, it was a gentle giant. He was a gentle yeah. giant, just such a lovely, lovely, lovely guy. You'd see someone as big as him and you'd expect him to be, you know, a bit more angry and a bit more aggressive. Mm. He brought that mm. to the table when it was football time. Yes. But after that, no, just a genuinely good guy genuinely good guy and someone as I say you know I think it was 18 odd goals I finished with that year and I'm pretty certain he would have had a hand in the majority of them with what he did and how he played so yeah he he had to for me he had to form a part of my my front three even though as Marv says Lee Trundle would probably play a little bit more centrally but I had to go with that 4-3-3 to get to get Craig Bellamy to get Steve Howard and to get Lee Trundle on the pitch at the same time Yes, and there's actually one big man I'm going to ask you about who I believe you played with at the start of his career, which is the nickname of the Beast. Is it right that you played with um, Akin Fenwar at the start of his career? Bales at Swansea as well. Yeah, yeah. What was he? What was he like to play with? Interest in in terms of because a lot of people see him as him as literally a target man and nothing else. 
Nah, so, so see now, Bayo was someone that I, so there's, there's a few players that I considered. So I was fortunate enough to play, you know, play for England with, as we said, with Nico, Michael Owen was up front. It was me, yeah. me, Gifton, Noel Williams and Michael Owen up front. I played with up front with Michael Owen, one of the best strikers, one of the best English strikers I've ever been. Um, but I wanted to keep it just to club, club football. Bayo was one I, Bayo was one I thought about, but I thought I didn't play with him long enough for him to, to get in there. But, People will look at Bayo. People look at his size. People look at his physique and just think he's a big old battering ram. No, 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 no. This guy could play. Fantastic first touch. Could hold the ball up really well. Could finish really well. Power and pace to stretch the ball, stretch play and get him behind opposition defences. And again, another gentle giant. Yeah. The one story I can remember, we were playing, playing for Swansea at the Liberty Stadium against Doncaster Rovers. I think it might have been Andy Robertson plays a ball in behind the defence. And Bayo's got one, the, the left side centre-back here, the right side centre-back here, and he's still running. He's still running. Sean O'Driscoll, the Doncaster manager, is going, stop him! Stop him! The centre-back's going, we can't! We can't! And he's just running, but he's got them both at arm's length. Still manages to go through and finish, and you're just going, wow, like, what What can you do? What can you do with this guy? Um, but yeah, he... And yeah, and even at Millwall as well. I had a brief time at Millwall with him as well because he was another Kenny Jacket. Brought him, brought Kenny Jacket, took me to Millwall, and he brought Bale in for a short period of time as well. Um, so yeah, really another one that really pleased to have played with players like that. But certainly, as you say, probably a player that's been underestimated of how good he actually is. A lot of people used to say that about Peter Crouch. Oh, he just he's just as a head on a stick. He's just there yeah. to flick things on but actually was a good footballer, technically gifted. And Bayo definitely falls into that bracket with me. And in reality, he wouldn't have had the teams he had if he wasn't a good, technically gifted footballer. He wouldn't still be at Wickham Wanderers now playing. I believe he's in his last season now, but he still wouldn't be playing those games or performing to that level if he wasn't technically able to play at that level. So, yeah. 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 And a great lad great, as well. Great, great guy. guy. Yeah, definitely. Great Marvin. Guy. Yeah. So, who's going to lead? I mean, you, you said you mentioned earlier on before about um, you're not sure who the manager's going to be. So, given that you've had time while we've been doing this, have you come up with a name or names? So, <clears throat> the, the names I had were Mike Walker from my time at Norwich, just because of what he achieved for the club at the time in Europe. And obviously, he was the man that gave me my debut. So, he was up there. You've then got Joe Kinnear, who brought together again I'm going to say it, a random bunch of players but brought us together and made a ridiculously good team spirit and in turn then made us successful and then newly came in and took that over um, so you've got that as well um, but then you've also got Kenny Jacket at Swansea as well that did exactly the same where he brought people together that all had points to prove and by bringing people together that had points to, to, points to prove it made a real rounded team. So for me, I'm going to have to go with Kenny just because, and that's no disrespect to the others because the others have both had, you know, real, real pivotal moments in my life and my career that shaped me to be the manager of Stroke Coast today. But the meticulous nature in which Kenny worked uh, is something that I will never forget. Every single player knew exactly what was expected of them from the first minute of the game. Every player knew exactly where they should be in any moment of the game. Could his man management have been better at times? 100%. But I think there's a lot of managers out there that will have that issue around man management. And that's probably born from the fact that they've got a steely determination to just go and be the best they can be on the pitch. 
and sometimes forget about those other aspects and how they look after players. That's not every manager, but I know that is some. Um, but how Kenny got us playing? How Kenny got us out of League Two? We got into League One and then just fell short in the playoffs to get promoted straight to the Premier to the um, Championship. We lost on penalties to Barnsley. It was actually Alan Tate and Bayer Akinfema that missed penalties. Otherwise, we'd have got back-to-back promotions. Um, yeah, just for me, I took a lot of how I will shape myself as a manager and what he did. I took. There's a lot that I won't take for sure. There's a lot that I won't take. That's for sure. But he would be the one that I would go with to lead to lead that team. And again, that's no that's no respect to Mike Newell because I thought I love working with Newell and Steeny. There was something about those two. They were a bit of a comedy act sometimes, weren't they? Newell and Steeny. <laughs> They're a bit of an unintentional comedy act, but it worked for the group at the time. They were perfect for the group, as you know, absolutely perfect for the group. Um, and then other managers that, you know, I went on to work with, whether it be Simon Grayson, who was just starting out in management, you know, with Blackpool, managed to go promote mm-hmm. from League One to the championship. So, yeah, but from, you know, working with Kenny for two years at Swansea and then two years at Millwall, he would be the one that I would have to lead to lead the team. And he's a manager that's gone on to, he's not been so successful in his last couple of jobs mm. um, and obviously left Leighton Orient a few a few months ago. But certainly someone that for me, you know, I, I learned a lot from definitely that it will shape some aspects of how I am as a coach today. So yeah, he takes the manager. Fantastic. Excellent. Fantastic. Perfect. Perfect. And then the last little bit, um, I, I mean, I know quite a few people know what you're doing now since you've finished playing, but like just to go over some of the um, teams you've played with or supporters who are listening who don't know what you're doing now, what are you you currently doing now? So, as you said at the start, so I'm now um, the lead development squad coach stroke manager at Luton Town. Um, I first came into the club in 2019, having left Norwich, where I was the the foundation phase lead for four years, changing regime at Norwich, different academy manager came in club wanted to go in a different direction that that didn't involve ex-players that had played for the club so that was it time for me to move on so then end up coming into Luton Town as initially as the head of coaching um, which was a job role that I absolutely loved not something that I expected to enjoy as much as I did because I hadn't come from a coach development background at all I was all about being on the grass with the players um, and then you know one of the things that was highlighted was the fact that you know, the under-18s at Luton would have to go from under-18s and jump straight to first team. Massive golf to be able to, you know, it's a big, big jump to be able to do that. So the decision was made by the club that they thought it was important to introduce an under-21s team. Um, the club approached me and asked me to step away from the coaching role to become the, the lead coach of that development squad. So I would say we run it more like a, more like a B team to a certain extent where we've got a nucleus of under-21 players but we've also don't carry so many where the best under 18s that are performing at the required level can step up and form part of that group. But also if the gaffer, as in Nathan Jones, the gaffer um, has two or three players in there that aren't getting many first team minutes for whatever reason, they can also step down and play in that as well. So, you know, I could have one week where I've got um, a nucleus of under 18s playing, but I can have the week after where I might have nine or 10 senior first team players playing for me within those games as well. So, it's a really, really varied role. Um, so enjoyable. And, you know, it's very challenging for me as well because I get the opportunity to play, so play to train and work with first team senior experienced players on a regular basis who have all been fantastic with me when they step down to play to play within that 21s and development squad programme. So it's, it's an exciting time for the club, you know, uh, in the playoff positions at the moment within the championship. 
can we go that step further and get into the Premier League? Let's hope so, because it'll be amazing for the town and amazing for the club. When you look back, you know, at the struggles the club have had going back five, 10, 15 years to be able to be on the, you know, on the, the, the precipice of potentially getting up to the Premier League is just amazing. When you link that to the fact that we've got the, the new ground power court that we'll obviously hope building will start on that imminently, looking at the prospects of going from category three to category two status and getting uh, a new training ground that will allow the us to get that cap two status with an indoor facility. You know, really, really exciting time for the club. And, you know, with the manager they've got at the moment is a winner and he's building a team and building a group of players that are winners as well. And that will go above and beyond to make sure they get those points on a Saturday. So, yeah, the club's in a really, really great position. Really great position. And, you know, for me, I think what this club's done to me, it's almost whetted, whetted my appetite to, to go into management as well. Like I say, it's not something that I thought I would want to do after playing, but having the opportunity to work closely with Nathan as first team coach there on two occasions um, over the last two seasons, it's just whetted the appetite to know that at some point, you know, I want to step into that management circle myself and see see if I can make a go of that and see if I can make a success of myself. As I said earlier, you know you're going to get the sack at some point, but, you know, I'm 43 years old now and I definitely want to see if I can explore that at some point and see where it can take me. So, But for now, really, really happy with what I'm doing. Really happy. Excellent. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, it was so nice, and thanks for so much for giving up your time um, while sat in your car. Um, at the <laughs> training ground. I really appreciate it. Um, but thank you so much for your time. And that was Adrian Forbes' My Best 11. <laughs>